0: Alright, so uh, you may remember one of the main themes from last week that we'll really see this week. It's the title of this week, starting in John 9, 12, and that is the sight of the blind and the blindness of the sighted. The sight of the blind and the blindness of the sighted. Uh, I've been... Pretty blessed my whole life to be able to see pretty well, you know, Uh, It wasn't till senior year that, you know, I kind of needed some glasses to drive at night, you know, or something like that. And overall, my vision's pretty decent. I do wear glasses when I'm studying or staring at a screen for a long time or something like that, but not bad, you know. Um, I can't really see any of your faces from here, so Uh, you look like friendly people, I think. Um, Except for you, that's really scary. um, Just kidding, Chris. Uh, Nice hat, by the way. Uh, uh, But Lindsay, my wife, is legally blind. Um, No, not really. But she is, she used to be, man, I always think if she was born a 1,000 years ago or 500 years ago, you know... Just not a lot of hope, I'm serious, you know. She would be the one, you know, selling bird seed to people out of, you know, out in the street, like, puppins, tuppins, or whatever it is, you know, tuppins and puppins, (laughs) and uh, just crazy, man, and it was so funny, because she'd get these glasses, you know, and by the way, it's past tense, Um, there's a story going along with this, but. You know, and she'd be like, hey, I got these cool new glasses, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, that's that's awesome. If you've ever seen The Jerk, they actually came with the little nose holder, you know, to like brace them. I'm kidding. Uh, But about three years ago or so, she got uh, kind of a form of LASIK surgery, PKR surgery, and uh, it was just amazing. I got to sit there and watch a TV screen where they zapped her eyeballs with all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, and uh, and then just all of a sudden she, what is it, 2021 20, vision or something like that, or 2015, I don't know what these numbers mean, uh, you do though, that's what's important, uh, I mean she has crystal clear vision across the room, it is just amazing the difference, we've been married 19 years and most of those years, Coke bottle glasses right here, you know, <laughs> And then no glasses. And now I'm the one that's kind of like, I think this is our exit, you know. No, it's not, you know. Um, and so we have an even greater transformation seen here in John chapter 9, where there's a man who, chapter uh, 9, verse 1, he says he was blind from birth. A man who's been totally and completely blind in utter Darkness since the day he was born. You remember from last week in our study in this story that that phrase, blind from birth, signals the application to us today that uh, human beings are spiritually blind from birth. Every one of us in this room is this man in the story. Blind from birth. And without a miracle, this man was destined to live in darkness. His condition was such that without help from outside of himself, he was destined to live a life in darkness. And that's us. Destined to live in darkness without help outside of Rory Rogers and All that I am and all that I was born into and all that my pedigree and heritage and history and education and, you know, even my best work on my best day and the country that I was born into and all of these different things without help from outside of all of that, without help from God himself, I was destined to live in darkness and you were destined to live in darkness. I once was blind, but believed I knew everything. A proud man in my ways and a fool in my part. And that's you as well. But Jesus, but Jesus came along one day. Verse one, he passed by. And as the story tells, he heals this man. Speaking a teachable lesson that it wasn't this man's sin or his parents' sin, the reason that he's blind, but so that the works of God might be accomplished. That men might believe in Jesus and by believing on his name have eternal life. And he heals this man in an incredible way. He takes some initiative and pursues a guy that didn't even ask Jesus for help. Jesus goes after him, spits in some mud makes some little mud cakes, puts it on the man's eyes, and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash in the pool, which means sent. It's a reminder that the sent one has sent you. And he washes his eyes off, and he sees. And that begins this series of dialogues, conversations, and probably more realistically, interrogations that the whole rest of this chapter consists of. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to go listen to the whole teaching from last week. But here we have the man being healed and uh, in an incredibly miraculous way with help from outside of himself. We're in verse 8 today where the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. So you guys know how it is. You know, we live in Primeville and, and you see people around town and you know that person, right? Uh, you know, there's there's all sites, uh, kinds of interesting folks out there that we see walking up and down the sidewalk or maybe begging, um, you know, on the corner outside of Bymark. Typically, that's kind of the location in town here. Or there's the people that are just active in the community, people that just have traits that are kind of well known throughout the community. You see that guy, you know that guy, right? Um, and yet then you see them in a different state or in a different location and you're like, is this the guy that, is this the gal that I think it is, you know? And so these are just people that, you know, as long as this guy's been around, his whole life he's been blind and, and they're saying, isn't this the guy? That's been blind that has sat begging his whole life and those were his neighbors those that had seen him blind It's him or it's sure like him. He's got that trait, you know He's carrying that bag, you know, and 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 then he just flat out says I am him I am he And I was thinking about that. That's an interesting claim, isn't it? Like what if it wasn't him? That's kind of weird like isn't this the guy that's been begging outside of Bymart, you know, the the guy with the sleeping bag wrapped around his head that he walks around town, you know, or the guy with the the walker, you know, we've all seen the guy with the walker or, you know, the guy with the shopping cart, you know, isn't that, well, it kind of looks like him. And then the guy, it's not him. Oh, it's totally me. I'm that guy, you know. It, there's not a whole lot of reason to claim to be that person. But he's like, I would know if it's me, and I'm telling you, It's me. He insists that he's the man. Therefore, they say to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, I love this. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash So I went and washed and I received sight. This is amazing that this man, we don't know a lot about, you know, kind of the whole interaction. Uh, There probably was way more that happened. There probably was more that the man would tell and and recount in his story. But from what John tells us, whatever it was, this guy knew that his rescuer's name was Jesus. Jesus. Such a beautiful name, isn't it? Book of Philippians chapter 2 tells us that it's the name above every other name. It's a name that when you say it in a crowd, it can cause the greatest amount of offense or the greatest amount of joy. So polarizing, polarizing, isn't that name? It's a name that it uh, causes our hearts to leap when we say it. It causes our mouths to, uh, there's a song that we sing uh, at our prayer meeting often, and it's, your name is like honey on my lips. The name of Jesus. I've, I just notice sometimes the way different people say his name as they're talking about him. Have you ever noticed the way Johnny Olkers says the name Jesus? He says it with like a Z at the end. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus. Z, Jesus. Maybe he doesn't know. Should we tell him? It's S-U-S. But either way, it's cool. I'm, no, the, I love the way that he says it. Because he says it like a friend who knows Jesus. And uh, man, do you know the old hymn? And it's really pretty. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. You guys know it? Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Isn't that an awesome name? Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. And then the song goes, but there's something about that name. There's something about that name. And I just was reading this, and this guy doesn't know much. This guy's been blind from birth. This guy, though seeing things, have nev- has never seen things. And he just says, You know what? Here's what I do know. A guy named Jesus, a man named Jesus, he anointed my eyes. He said, Go wash. And then there will be, I think, three times that this phrase is essentially mentioned in this chapter. So I went. And I washed and I received sight. So he went and he washed and he received his sight. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. He's going to tell it again a little bit later. He obeyed Jesus. He obeyed the gospel. I think it's Mark's gospel. At the beginning of um, the story of the, the gospel account in Mark, the disciples went out. And they went out and said, and I think it's actually Jesus that says it. He went out and he preached saying, repent and believe the gospel. You got to believe the gospel. Receive it and act upon salvation. Like we say today, so I'll walk upon salvation. So I went. He, Jesus initiated it. Divine sovereignty. Jesus went after me. He anointed my eyes, did a work of his spirit, enabling me to believe I was in darkness. So I went and I washed, I believed what he said, and I received my sight. And verse 12 says, so they said to him, they're not moved by this story, by the way. I know you guys are all moved by it. Oh, you know isn't this a precious story he so he went and he washed and he received man that's just neat still has the water you know there's still wet clothes and the little drippings from the pool man this is awesome what a day what a day that this man met jesus and received his sight oh no they're just they're not impressed about that uh But they said to him, where is he? I do not know. I'm being a little hard on these people. It's actually the Pharisees that are going to be the harsh, critical ones. These are just neighbors that are genuinely interested. The Pharisees, in just a moment, aren't really going to care with much compassion. In verse 13, we begin with an an investigation by the Pharisees because verse 13, these neighbors brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. By the way, that's this guy's name, pretty much the whole story. Either the blind man or he who was formerly blind. Once you come to Jesus, don't expect a lot of lofty titles or some sort of, you know, um, but that's okay. That's a good testimony. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, John Newton wrote that, and he's a famous, incredible man with an just an incredible story of being a slave trader and then becoming a man who would eliminate slavery in Britain and its colonies. But you know what? He's just content with being the guy that was a wretch, and I was blind, but now because of Jesus, I see. And so. I think that there's some actual sincerity to the neighbors and friends who wonder how this happened. And just like we might have something go on in our culture and kind of say, hey, you know, let's see what the what the authorities have to say about this craziness. Man, this is intense. Like, let's go talk to, you know, the, the authorities or the commissioner or the county judge or whatever. Let's get their take on this. And so they just go to who in their culture was kind of just helped oversee things the rulers of the synagogues, the Pharisees. And uh, and it was a Sabbath, verse 14 tells us, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> verse 15, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. So he's telling the story again, Right? Uh, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, doubtless, the healed man gave them a full report. John records this condensed version, and verse 16 says, Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is from God. Because he does not... Uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, John. Dude. Does it look like I need your help here? Yeah, man. We're going to have a bit of a Pharisee blind man situation right here. If I may. this I did not get much sleep last night, Rusty, and they are not being very nice to me. Okay. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them, just like Jesus, isn't it? Like he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That doesn't sound very Jesus-like. It's because the gospel that saves and brings peace has a necessary sword that comes with it, that automatically judges and divides those who reject that gospel. And Jesus says that's going to narrowly come down to even a mother against her daughter, a mother-in-law against her son-in-law, which is already going to happen anyway, if I'm honest with you. Uh, Oh, just kidding. I love my mother-in-law. You know, uh, father against his son. There's going to be a division, let alone within the sect of the Pharisees. Uh, That division happens here. It says he is operating and doing things that the christ was going to do and so there was a division uh even concerning what's going on with this sabbath breaking that's taking place we've talked quite a bit about the breaking of the sabbath and how jesus comes and shows uh just the true purpose of the sabbath that man wasn't made uh for sabbath but the sabbath was made for man so that he might enjoy the lord and rest in the lord and worship the lord but that there are times where mercy ministries and things like that must take place it's what the lord does and uh and so because of the sabbath issue there's a division because there's a notable miracle that occurred there's a division among these religious leaders in verse 17 they said to the blind man again what do you say about him because he opened your eyes he said He's a prophet. It's an interesting thing to think of this guy. Just fully healed my eyes. And I don't know much about him at the moment, but I know there's something special about him. He's got to be a guy that's in tune with the Lord, in touch with the Lord, is in prayer with the Lord. This guy is spiritual. This guy is a notable man And it's going to come to be something a little different than that as we move on. But the question from the Pharisees forces the man to take sides here. There's a division among the Pharisees. What do you say? Pick our side. Pick our side. Today I was studying and Titus came down and was just snuggling me. And he was already dressed for church, you know, but just snuggling me and kissing. We're just talking about how much we love him. And Lindsay goes, hey, Titus, who's sweeter, your mom or your dad? I had him in the bear hug, and so I just start kissing him. <sniffs> Come on, pick a side. <sniffs> you know, he said both, you know, which is okay. I guess it's true. But, you know, and so here are the Pharisees. All right, you know, is he a man from God or is he, you know, a sinner? Pick my side. You know, pick my side. He says, all I know is he's at least a prophet. He's at least godly. I know that a work has been done in my life. And if this is a human agent, he must be an extraordinary individual, perhaps a prophet, someone sent with God's word. But this man's eyes are open even wider. He's beginning to see even more clearly. He's beginning to see more clearly. He's going to make an incredible statement as a healed man in just a little bit. But the eyes of the Pharisees are going to become more and more blind as our story continues. So, They don't really have the answer they're looking for yet, so they begin to interrogate his parents. Look in verse 18. For the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents are brought in. Is this your son? And was he really born blind from birth? And if so, who healed him? And the parents are uncomfortable with this line of questioning and attack. They're prepared to affirm that, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was indeed born blind. And and we're going to kind of keep it at that because those answers aren't going to get us into any trouble. But there's a threat of excommunication if they were going to say, yeah, not only did the guy heal my son, but not only is he more than a prophet, he's the Christ that the prophets have been talking about. They know that if they came out with the joy that should be coming out of their heart, uh, that they would be kicked out of the local synagogue, perhaps not all of the regional synagogues, but for sure this local Jerusalem synagogue. And so that's why his parents kind of skirted the question and didn't get into anything that would get them in trouble. Verse 23. That's why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. By the way, as a child, that's always a great compliment from your parent. He's become a man now. The poor guy hasn't even had his bar mitzvah yet. Now all of a sudden they're throwing on him this line of questioning. He's at least 13 years old, okay? If he's of age, then he's 13 years old. Probably had a little um, bar mitzvah. And uh, they can go ahead and ask him. And he can give legal a legal account uh, for himself. And so... Uh, They're not happy with the answer from the parents, and so they go to their second interrogation of the man who was blind. Uh, They suspect something's been kept hidden from them in this story, and so they adjure the man to tell the truth. Look at verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. All right. Give God the glory isn't exactly kind of something that you grew up singing in your conservative Baptist church growing up. Give God all the glory, great things he has. You know, um, no, this is something in lines with Joshua chapter one or seven, verse 19, you know, when Achan had uh, stole the goods from Jericho and there was a plague and the loss of battles among the people of Israel and they wanted to know the truth. And so Joshua says, give God the glory. What did you do? You know, and it's just a way of saying, speak up and tell the truth. Make your confession. The truth that the Pharisees wanted confessed was that Jesus was a sinner. He had transgressed the law by healing on the Sabbath day and uh, that he should be put to death or stoned. But that's not the glory that the man is going to speak. He really is going to give God the glory in his testimony. And we're going to see he's a bit of a cheeky guy as he does it. Look in verse 25. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. This guy's, you're going to see this guy's awesome. Okay. In chapter five, there was a lame man who was healed and he was kind of a crotchety old fellow and he would end up throwing Jesus under the bus and it wasn't a very good, feel-good Hallmark card healing story in chapter 5, you know. But we're getting into the Hallmark channel right now, okay? Because this guy, blind from birth, has had his eyes open. And with every questioning towards him and persecution, I would say, his eyes are being opened more and more to the truth of who Jesus is. And so he's already saying, man, I can't say he's a sinner, but here's what I do know, right? Right? Man, this is, and this is beautiful, this should be our testimony as well. One thing I know, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This man is having a growing understanding of who Jesus is. His eyes are being opened physically and spiritually. He's beginning to have more and more of a frank confession of a new faith. As it's been said once, decisive faith is characterized by the testimony of personal witness. It's an encouragement to us to begin telling people the one thing we know about Jesus. And the more we begin to speak out in this community what we know about Jesus, the more boldness and courage that we'll have to speak more that we know about Jesus. Courage begets courage. Bravery begets bravery. And as we speak about Jesus, we're going to have more and more courage to speak of him the day after and the day after. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. I put a little star next to that verse. It's it's incredible. They said to him again, verse 26, what did he do to you and how did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? This guy is great, right? You've got this healed man that so far has been very polite, but now he's starting to sniff out the professional impartiality of these lawyers. That It's not really impartial. It's been nothing but a show so far, and so as a result, he begins to deploy his marvelous gift, as D. A. Carson said, his marvelous gift for sardonic repartee. He's going to be a comedian, you know. He's gonna he's gonna get at him with his sense of humor and with his frankness and with his bluntness, right? Uh, since he's already answered their questions before. Why would they want to hear his answers all over again? Totally. At least we know that he's in John chapter 9. Good job. Song of Solomon chapter 1. <laughs> like, Isaac, take that phone away from him. Okay. All right. This, this guy is going to ask if their desire is to hear a repetition of his testimony for real or if they 've got some secret desire to be a disciple of Jesus themselves, Matt Carter said their foolishness is exposed by the simple logical answers of the man who 's been healed like here 's a guy blind from birth, a beggar, the lowest of the low in his community, and he 's sniffing out what 's really going in and on in the heart of these religious leaders against Jesus, and he began the Lord uses him. To prick their conscience. And to poke at their heart. In verse 28. Then they reviled him and said. You are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow. We do not know where he's from. And so they get. Angry. They are incensed. They begin to hurl insults. Their rudeness is going to double and spring apart from their consciences that have been touched and yet he just spoke a simple ironic yet taunting question that stripped off all of their pretense of an even-handed evaluation In verse 30 the man answered and said to them why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from yet he's opened my eyes now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And so here's this guy, again, the lowest of the community, but he knows enough, even in common sense, that, man, all I know is this guy was used to heal me. And if you guys are, yourselves are saying that God doesn't hear sinners, and this guy that broke the Sabbath, well, then, what does that tell you about who this man really is, or and or what your thoughts of what the Sabbath is supposed to be? In verse 32, since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who's been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And you can just see this guy. Courage begetting courage even within the conversation. Even though he's beginning to be mocked and insulted by his uh, interrogators. And that doesn't put him down. It actually raises him up in courage with increased boldness. And what has been called sardonic wit. Little bit of humor. Coming out from his common sense. He's just working out reasonably who Jesus must be. And I think of uh I want to say I think it was Lord Darling the once chief justice of England who uh did an investigation into if Jesus really rose from the dead. And he ended up writing that as a as a chief judge and as a very well respected lawyer, one of the greatest legal minds that's ever existed. He said, if you would be a fair inquirer, you will come to the conclusion that Jesus really rose from the dead and that everything he had to say is true and correct. From a a legal standpoint of everything that would be viewing the resurrection of Jesus from a legal historical standpoint, if you're fair and a reasonable mind, you will come to the conclusion that Jesus really rose from the dead. Now, whether or not you'll bow to the lordship of Jesus, having uh, understood those truths, uh, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and whether you'll be obedient to the gospel. But you've got to be reasonable. Would you just be reasonable here? And here this man has been reasonable about it. Common sense included comes to a clear and logical deduction. No one just goes around opening the eyes of the blind. So what do we say of the guy that is opening the eyes of the blind and is healing the leper and is healing the person who's been lame and sitting here for years on end, delivering people from demons? Now, it can be dangerous to just kind of say, oh, he has worked a miracle, so he must be from God. We know that the New Testament tells us that even as the end days come, more and more people will be deceived by the marvelous external signs and wonders movements that are out there. That's a way that the enemy is going to lead people away from Jesus, is he will just enamor them with the sparkly, trickly things, you know? We're like fish going after the lure. and We forget that true signs from God will always point to God. That's what a sign does. They point to someone. But even within Christianity, many people get enamored with the signs among themselves. We know that that Satan can come with lying signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, Paul tells us. And you'll remember from the Exodus account that even Janus and Jambres, Pharaoh's magicians, could mimic some of Moses' miracles. Moses throws his rod down, it becomes a snake. Janus and Jambres throw their rods down. They become snakes. But just to show who's really in charge around here, Moses' snake goes and eats the other two snakes. And so it's not just about signs and wonders. This guy, though, says, you know what? I know that he did the sign of healing my eyes, so he must be at least a prophet. And I like what Carson says about this. Such theological niceties do not trouble this healed man. His spiritual instincts are good, even if his theological argumentation is not entirely convincing. His givens are simple. His congenital blindness has been healed, and the God who performed the healing does not answer the prayer of sinners. The conclusion is obvious. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Let's look at some of the prophecies that tell us that these are the acts that the Messiah the Christ, the Savior of the world, would do. We got him on screen for you, so you don't have to flip and get a paper cut on those beautiful hands, unless you want to. Isaiah twenty-nine, eighteen. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Isaiah thirty-five, five through seven. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall birth forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay there, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So these beautiful messianic prophecies that the eyes of the blind shall be open. Like Isaiah 42, 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoner from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist was in prison and he's wondering if his cousin is the Christ. Jesus, are you really the Christ or should we be looking for another? And in Matthew eleven four, Jesus answers and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So John the Baptist, you know, I'm in prison here for the message of righteousness, and I want to know, are you he, or should we... Get our eyes off of you and keep looking for the Messiah to come. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm totally Him. Come on. You know me. We grew up playing Nintendo late at night together, cuz, you know. No, He says, hey, here's what's happening right now in Galilee. How do they line up with the Messianic prophecies? They line up spot on. Look in Luke chapter 4, the day that Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, beautiful He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now you might say big deal, okay? Kind of a special thing. He's back at home, back at his homecoming back in his home synagogue stands up to read from the book. That was a common thing for the rabbis to do reads this messianic passage about the healing and the work of redemption and the work of freedom that the Messiah will do. He closes the book, goes and sits down. Someone say a prayer. Let's go to the local buffet after church, right? But every eye was still looking at him when he sat down. And they're like hanging on his every word. Do you have anything else to say? And what does he say? He, verse 21, began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm him. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. And this blind man in John chapter 9 has enough common sense to begin putting puzzle pieces together that by the end of the chapter he's going to see this guy is him. Look in verse 34. <clears throat> the Pharisees answer and said to him, You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. So. He's beginning to declare that this guy is more than a man. Jesus is more than a prophet. The Pharisees are ready to excommunicate anyone who would say such a thing. This man begins to make logical deduction that he may even be more than a prophet. That's where this line of thinking is going. And they are being offended and angered by what he has to say. Till finally they just very cruelly just kick him, you know, in his in his history of being down. You were born, you know, just you were born in sin. That's why you were blind. I mean, these are just hurtful words of a bully here. You were completely born in sin. And you remember the question in verse two, I think it was like the disciples said, is this man blind because of his own sin or the sins of his parents, which brought you to the thought of Maybe his mom went into an idol's temple while he was still in the womb and that sin of his mom was transferred to his body. That's something the Jews believed could happen. Or maybe it was, you know, and Jesus says it wasn't either of those things. It's so that God can be glorified today. But the Jews, they take it to say, yeah, you know why you were blind? Because you were born completely in sin. And you think you're going to teach us and just call us out in front of our friends that we misspoke a word? John, think about that, huh? Okay. And they cast him out. It's in the Bible right there, verse 34. Interesting. Just kidding. John knows that I'm joking. They are stung by the audacity of this untrained member of the common herd and that he's going to best them at their own game, I don't think so. And so just like a typical bully that's like been one-upped and they got nothing else but to just punch a guy or something, they opt for personal abuse rather than just an even-handed evaluation of some reason here. And the the man who was formerly blind shows courage. This opposition is best met with courage and he's kicked out he's excommunicated in verse 35 when jesus heard they had cast him out and when he had found him he said to him do you believe in the son of god he's kicked out probably doesn't have a friend in the world now but as psalm 27 10 says when my father and my mother forsake me then the lord will take care of me And when he's out, Jesus comes and finds him. And again, Jesus takes the initiative, finds him, and is going to bring him to a knowledgeable faith. Do you see the divine initiative here in that Jesus pursues us for salvation? This man had probably never actually seen Jesus. Jesus puts the cakes on his eyes, tells him to go. That was the last he'd heard of Jesus. Never actually saw him. But here Jesus found him. That voice that's kind of recognizable says, do you believe in the son of God? The original manuscripts say son of man. That's probably the better translation. It's the harder translation, which shows why it may be one of the better ones. But the earlier manuscripts say son of man, son of God or son of man. Doesn't matter. It, it's they're both good. But son of man kind of hits the home run here. It's a reference to the book of Daniel. It's a reference to the one who transcends time, place, and is the authority above all of her authorities. And so Jesus would refer to himself as the son of man, as a reference to the book of Daniel, the Messiah, deity, the Christ, who would come and save the entire world and have a throne that would be set up and know no end. And so when Jesus sees this man, he says, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And he said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now, this guy hasn't been seeing for very long, just a few hours. So who is this son of man that I can believe? You're looking at him, bub, right? You haven't seen too many people today, and I'm telling you right now, you've seen him. You've seen the one that the prophet spoke of. You have seen him. And then I'm just going to narrow it down a little bit in case you're still not picking up what I'm putting down. He's talking to you right now. He's talking to me right now? Where is he? Right now he's talking to you. Yeah, I know. So. Okay, Bob. (laughs) You're looking at him. All right. Here's looking at you. He's the son of man. He's the Christ. Jesus says, you have seen him and it's he who's talking to you in a fashion. That's like John chapter four, verse 10, the woman at the well, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And it's here where this man realizes that this is the giver of living water. It's the giver of sight to the blind. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just a man whose prayers God hears. You know, C.S. Lewis, we've heard it said many times, we quote it all the time, that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's got to be Lord. The things that he claims, he claims in such a way that if he's, he's either a deceiver or he's deluded or he's got to be deity. But don't patronize Jesus by saying that he's some sort of a good man because he makes claims that no good man make. No good man claims the things that he is. That is to be God. The minute someone in your friendship starts saying they're God, start looking at them a little bit different. Hmm. Yeah, I grew up playing basketball with you, and frankly, that is not the three-point shot of God. <laughs> okay? You Start looking. This is, not, this is weird. This guy's a charlatan. This guy's a madman. This guy's gone loony. Cuckoo for Cocoa Pups. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, straight jacket, padded walls, all of that kind of stuff. Let's just move this guy on into there. But Jesus asks a pointed question on if this man believes him. And this man is beginning to find he's more than a prophet. He's more than a man. And with a pointed question, he says, do you believe in me? And he said, verse 38, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. It's a faith that will stand up for Jesus. It's a faith that will talk about Jesus as being the one who took us out of our state of blindness into a state of being healed and having revelation that we'd never known before. It's a statement that moves us towards worshiping him and falling down at his feet and praising him and adoring him. When we say we believe, then we begin to worship. When we know what Jesus has done for us in healing us of our spiritual blindness, then we fall down at our feet and we exalt Him. As the old hymn says, when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. It's like Prineville talk right there. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross... My burden he gladly bearing. Guys, this is the story of hope that leads us to sing. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And when I think that I was blind from birth and that without intervention, I was going to live eternally in darkness and in death, but God pursued me out of a crowd. He picked me, touched my eyes, and opened them that I could have life and life abundantly. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. I believe. Lord, I believe! Exclamation point. I believe. And it leads me to worship. I believe, and it leads me to witness, to testify of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon spoke of a man who had a spurious faith. That is, he had a a faith that didn't really believe. He would say he believed, but there was no action in his life for the Lord that, that flowed from such a faith. And the man was asked, sir, do you believe? Yes. What do you believe? Well, I believe what the church believes. Okay, what does the church believe? Well, it believes what I believe. What do you and the church believe? Well, we believe the same thing, <laughs> okay? Okay, let's, let's grow a little bit, folks. You believe in Jesus? You believe he is the Son of Man? You believe that he came to seek and save the lost, and you are the lost? You believe that you are blind apart from him, and that without him you have no hope in this world? Then humble yourself before him. Confess your blindness. Confess your hardness of heart. Confess your need for him. And you will have everlasting life. Become a worshiper. In verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. But I thought John chapter 3 said that I did not come into the world to judge the world. That's right. This first coming, Jesus came to save. But as the John chapter 3 passage goes on to say, those who don't believe in him are condemned already. Because they don't believe in him who's the son of God, the savior of the world. And so there's this natural thing. I said it before. A natural thing that happens with the preaching of the gospel is it also automatically speaks the aroma of death leading to death for those who would reject Jesus. And here in Jerusalem, they're in the presence of the blind man who's now been made heal. They're in the presence of the Pharisees. Jesus say, "I, I came for judgment. The message that I preach automatically brings it. It's a given that if you don't believe in the son of man, then you will be condemned. You separate yourself from the, from the remedy for your cur for the curse. And that whoever does not see would be able to see. And whoever thinks that they already can see will be made to, it'll be shown that they're already blind. And then moving on, finishing out here in this text. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Adam, you and the worship team want to come on up? You guys can set your things aside. The problem here was that you had religious leaders. Religious leaders who on the outside appeared to be just totally having it together. They looked like they on the outside were completely obedient to the things of the Lord. They were self-righteous. And they claimed to already be able to see everything that needed to be seen. In fact, that caused them in their self-righteousness. To think they didn't need the righteousness that comes from above. The righteousness that's given by grace. And it caused them to be condemning to all those who were in need of the righteousness from grace. These were those that thought they could see. But Jesus will call them in Matthew chapter 23, the blind leading blind. Spurgeon said, it is not our littleness... That hinders Christ. But our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ. It's our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ. It's our supposed light. That holds back his hand. This blind man. Realized. I got nothing apart from you God. And God saved him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, said, I'm not even really sure we need God. We've just been working really hard. We got this thing together. We're from a pretty good pedigree. This guy over here, born in his sin. Us over here, like, ah, tribe of Benjamin. All right, you know. Jesus says, you're a whitewashed tomb. Looking good on the outside. On the inside is dead men's bones. You think you're so big, you don't need the Lord. You think you're so perfect, you don't need true perfection. You're really the blind ones. So let's move to prayer now. And Lord, we would be fools to think that we are not just like the Pharisees. So often, trusting in our own works, trusting in our own efforts, In fact, often we feel condemned because our efforts weren't good enough. Or often we feel proud because we did pretty good this week. And we've been relating to you based on our strengths and weaknesses. Rather than based on your grace. Based on your initiative, based on your pursuit. And based upon your righteousness. Righteousness. As Romans tells us, by the deeds of the law and the works of the flesh, no one will be justified. It's not by the labor of our hands. But it's by resting in the work that you've done. As Jeremiah says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom nor let the strong man boast in his strength. But Lord, those who boast, boast that God has pursued us and we can know Him. Thank you, Lord, that even today in 2021, Prineville, Oregon, you can come and by your Spirit Put the salve on our eyes and wash our eyes clean so that we can see you. By your spirit, you can show us our littleness and our deep need for you, our weakness and our need for your strength, our blindness and our need for your light. Show us, Lord.